Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. I believe today God sent me here, kind of with marching orders, just to, to build your faith a little bit. I was on my knees and I was praying for you. And I was praying over this message and I was praying kind of for this time together. And wherever you are and whatever your situation, I believe today God's word wants to speak life. I believe it wants to speak faith. I believe it's going to speak hope to you. Because I know this whole season, there's been a whole lot of talk about the COVID virus and the pandemic and the physical health of people and the economic impact of quarantine and furloughs, but this is getting a little bit heavy. And part of this can start to feel a little bit hopeless. And on multiple occasions this week, I had people say to me, I don't know that we'll ever go back to normal. So I just, I just want to take some time today and let this story of rebuilding the book of Nehemiah that, that we've been walking through, I just believe this passage today is here to build your faith, whatever season you're in. And this season of life may be heavy, but it's not wasted. This season of life may be hard, but it's not hopeless. And I've got to be honest, this message is stretching me a little bit today. Because by default in my spiritual wiring, I'm a teacher. Like, I want to talk about, well, the year that they conquered the wall, you have to understand all this that's going on in the background. And the year they rebuilt the wall, there's all this stuff. And then if I can take you to the, the Hebrew, and if you spell all these words backwards, it tells you when, you know, who's going to win the election. Like, that's my default, you know what I'm saying, to just kind of get into the weeds of that stuff. But today, this part of the story, there's no hidden Hebrew codes. Today, this part of the story is, is pretty simple. Yet I believe it is so powerful to the season of life that we are in. We're walking through the book of Nehemiah. It's a book in the Old Testament. And this whole series is called Social, Social Solutions. And Nehemiah stepped on the scene in the city of Jerusalem. And it was broken. It was torn down. There was high criticism in their culture, a lot of fake news, a lot of false reports, and just a hopeless situation. And I believe God gave him roadmaps for social solutions in his day. And I just, I just want this book to speak to us, and specifically this story. I think it's timely. We are in this rebuilding and re-engaging story of our own coming out of this pandemic. Like we take two steps forward, and then we take a step back. So the, the children of Israel lived in the land that God promised them. Thus it was called the promised land. I know, it's a very, very uh, creative name right there. So they had kings, and they had temples, and they had a big strong military, and they had palaces. There was a time they had all this wealth, and God said, here's the deal. You be my people, and I'll be your God. If you serve me, and you obey my commandment, if you, like you use the wisdom that I give you, and if you will do these things, I know you're going to have hard days. That's just, that's just part of living and breathing. But in the end, I will be your God, and you will be protected. But just like you and I, they couldn't help it. They got to looking at their neighbors. That's why in God's top ten suggestions, the Ten Commandments, right? He said, don't covet because you don't need to get caught up looking at what your neighbor has and, and what you don't have. 
And they got to looking at their neighbor's stuff. And lo and behold, what I have is now not enough. And God's like, listen, you need to learn how to be content with where I have you. You need to learn to run the race that I have called you to run. They wanted what their neighbors had. They wanted their neighbor's women. And they wanted their neighbor's sons. And they, and they just wanted all the stuff their neighbors had, specifically their neighbor's gods. Because those gods didn't have all these overprotective rules. Those gods let them do naughty things. And our God, we don't, we don't get to do naughty stuff. And here's the, here's the thing about our relationship with God. He'll let you. He'll let you. He will not force you to love him. He will not make you get out of bed and worship him. He will not force you to get up and spend time with him. He will not force you to be a generous person. He will let you. But he'll also warn you. You can have all that, but it ain't, ain't going to be as fun as you think it is. This is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. This is going to end in pain. I'll be your God, you be my people, you obey my commandments, you live under my protection, and they just couldn't help themselves. They got to looking at what their neighbors had, and they got to serving their neighbor's God, and they stepped out from under God's protection and God's covering. And lo and behold, the superpowers of the day, the Babylonians, they came through and they conquered the people of Israel. We're going to land in Nehemiah chapter 2, so if you're a Bible bringer, you can go there. We'll put them up on the, on the screens here too as well. But before I go there, I want to show you in another part of the Old Testament timeline how we got here, like how we got to this place. And that story is found in 2 Kings 25. And I'm just going to read just three or four verses here. Roughly... 590-ish, it's like actually 586 years before the birth of Christ, the Babylonian Empire came through and they conquered the Jewish people. They conquered the, the nation of Judah. And they put into place this puppet king. He was Jewish, but King Nebuchadnezzar put a guy named Zedekiah in power. And old Zed, you know, he, he did good for a while, but then he actually kind of stood up and rebelled against the Babylonians, and that just didn't turn out really good for him or the Israel people. Let me, let me show you this. 2 Kings 25. This is how, this was, this is where all the damage was done. Verse 8. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. And he burned down the temple of the Lord. He burned down the royal palace. He burned down all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. For 150 years, Jerusalem lies in ruins. Then 150 years after 2 Kings 25 verse 8, 150 years later, a guy by the name of Nehemiah comes on the scene. Today, we're going to look at the second half of Nehemiah chapter 2. And to be honest with you, in context of this whole story, going from Nehemiah chapter 1 all the way to the end, this arguably could be the heaviest part of the whole story. Now, we're going to talk about some heavy stuff, some criticism and attempts to kind of stop all this. But, but when you take into context the events we're going to read right here in just a moment, this arguably could be just the heaviest part, this tipping point moment for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I, I being Nehemiah, I arrived in Jerusalem. 
And for three days he didn't do anything. He just kind of showed up. Verse 12. Then I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone what plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Verse 13, after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, over the dung gate, talk about that next week, to inspect the broken walls and the burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. They're just stuff. They're just rocks and piles. And so the donkey couldn't get through the rubble. Verse 15, so though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the walls before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. I want to talk to you today about God uses dark places. Matter of fact, I believe God does some of his most powerful work in dark places. The story of Nehemiah, it's a story of rebuilding. Jerusalem had been a dark place for 150 years. At one time, Jerusalem was, was the capital of a mighty nation. David and his son Solomon had turned it into a superpower that no one could stand against the armies of Israel. Solomon built a grand temple. Solomon built these massive gardens. Solomon built all these marvelous structures. In 2 Kings 25, that all comes crumbling down. And for 150 years, it was a dark place. If you remember a couple of weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 1, this all started with a brother... Nehemiah's brother that actually came to visit him. And he comes to see him. And so Nehemiah kind of operates on that no news is good news. You know what I'm saying? He knew that the Persians had conquered the Babylonians and the Persians kind of wanted people to like them. And they're like, you know what? You can go back to your homeland. If you want to go back to Jerusalem, you can go back. So Nehemiah knew life was starting to return to Jerusalem. And so he's kind of optimistic about what's going on. He kind of wants to go back and see. I can't wait to hear what's happening. And then his brother shows up and says, yeah, it, it's, it's not good. Jerusalem is still in ruins. It's a dark place. People are moving back home, but there's nothing to move back home to. It's all rubble. I don't know what this season has been for you. I know some people have lost their job. I know some people have had their income impacted. I know some people have had to use a lot of their savings. I know some folks had to cancel major life plans like weddings and vacations. And some of this has just been hard. I mean, people we love, now we're arguing to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. Is it fake? Is it a hoax? Is it real? And it just feels sad, it feels tense, and it feels divisive. And I just want it to be over, and you're just wanting this to be over. And the heaviness of this just keeps Mounting, there have been days this feels like a dark place. And then, then you read a story where they, okay, well, they're making progress on, on like a vaccine and you hear good news and maybe like we're starting to come out of this and we've got a handle on this. And so I feel like Nehemiah, who's optimistic about things, like no news is good news. So I don't watch the news for a few days and start to feel good about things. I read this article that there's hope. And then you read the next article and it says there's even bigger destruction on the way. There's a bigger disaster that's coming. And that feels like Nehemiah's brother when he shows up and says, it's not good. There's not good news. This midnight ride that Nehemiah takes on his donkey 
is a pivotal and yet heavy point in this story, but it's more than just a ride. It becomes a birthing place for a rebuild. Verse 12. I slipped out during the night. Not only is Jerusalem a dark place, but Nehemiah makes the choice to survey the damage of the wall during the darkness of night. And I've just got to tell you, that can go one of two ways. Because sometimes life is just heavier at night. Let me give you some advice. Don't make big life decisions at midnight. Because your body's tired, your emotions are spent, your mind is worn out from the busyness of the day. So, so don't, don't, don't send emails quitting everything at midnight. Because heaviness just happens in darkness, right? But then the flip side of that coin is, I know, I know God does some of his best work in dark places. Sometimes we just need to turn the lights off. Matt told me the other day, he goes, they used an old BK trick. So back in the day, many, 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 many moons ago when I was a youth pastor, and, and we'd be like be having worship, and I felt, I felt like there was just more, but the kids were kind of doing some God, you know. And so a little trick I would use, I'd turn the lights off. And so something happens in, in, in darkness, especially when you feel like everybody's watching you. You know, it puts this kind of weird pressure on me. And sometimes in dark places, I can feel like it's just me and God. Sometimes in dark places, I feel like there's a, there's a freedom. There. That's huge for a young person, right? Like the social standing of young people is heavily based upon peers. But in a dark place, <laughs> I, there are no eyeballs on me. They can't see me anyway. I'm free to be me. I'm free to be with God. I'm free to discover who I am. You can't really see me in the room because it's dark anyway. <laughs> I can't even really see who's looking around. So there is no pressure. The room's just dark. Sometimes dark places can feel like safe places. And Nehemiah used the darkness of night because he didn't want a bunch of people with him. He took some, but he didn't, he didn't want a bunch of people with him. I don't know why. I think a couple of reasons. Maybe this was going to be emotional. If you read Nehemiah chapter 1, when he heard Jerusalem was in ruins, he wept and cried and fasted and prayed. Maybe he thought as he goes out and scopes this out, this is going to be emotional. I'm a manly man, and I don't want people to see me cry. And so maybe he just didn't want a bunch of people watching him process the emotions. Maybe he didn't want to answer a bunch of questions. I don't have the answers yet, and I'm not ready for you to ask all these questions. How? Why? What are you going to do now, Nehemiah? What are you going to do now, Maybe he's a processor. Some of y'all processors. It just takes some time to just soak it all in and, and take it all in. Whatever his reason, Nehemiah slipped into the night so he didn't have to deal with a bunch of people watching him. But there's, but there's another part of that. I, I think this is cool. He can only see what he can see. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we borrow problems we're not ready to deal with. Now, I'm sure Nehemiah had a torch, right? I'm sure he had something that, that he could see. Something little, I can see a little bit out. Jimmy, you out there? I can't, see, I can't see you, but I can see the wall. I mean, I know that there were buildings that were destroyed. I know that there were houses that were lying in rubble, but he just took just enough light with him so he could focus on the wall. Are the houses a problem? Yes. Someday we'll rebuild the houses. But at this moment, his mission wasn't the houses. His mission was the wall. If I can rebuild the wall and create a little bit of safety for the people in Jerusalem, 
If I can rebuild the wall and, and let it feel a little bit more secure, and if I can get gates that would close, then the people in Jerusalem could start to feel just a little bit safer. And now they wouldn't have to sleep with one eye open. Now they wouldn't have to worry about enemy raiding parties, but instead they could start to have some social parties and start to feel like they were safer and start to get back to their life and begin to live again. I don't have to spend the night in fear. And the dark place helped him focus. He didn't have to see all the destruction out there. He could just focus on what his eyes could see right there in the light of his torch. The beauty of dark places, you can't see the whole mess. Sometimes I need to hide the mess so I can focus on the mission. Sometimes I need to just get away from the mess. Sometimes I need to turn off the mess so I don't become overwhelmed with rubble. Here's the deal. If you look at a mess long enough, eventually it will rob you of hope. It's kind of like a bad piece of chewing gum. You know what I'm saying? The longer you chew it, the bigger and harder it is to chew, right? And when God has you in a still, quiet, dark place, it has a way of silencing all the distractions. It closes out all the competing voices. Nehemiah just knew the mission. He didn't have all the answers yet. He just knew he needed to rebuild the wall. If you ask how too quickly, you will destroy creativity. And some of you guys are how guys. Some of you gals are, are how guys. Somebody starts talking about something that you just can't help yourself. And you go, well, well how are you going to do that? And here's the deal. If you ask how too early in the process, you're, you're going to eliminate creativity. And the other thing is you're just taking God out of the equation. If I ask how too soon, it takes the mysterious out of the miraculous work of God. Nehemiah didn't know. I don't have all the answers. How, how are you going to pay for that, Nehemiah? How are you going to rebuild from all these ashes and all this rubble? How are you going to get all these people to work together? I don't know. I just know that sitting here doing nothing, that's the wrong answer. So I... I have the great joy of living out in the country. It's a pain sometimes. I mean, they're septic tanks, right? But I, I, I live out in the country, and one of the reasons why I love living out in the country, stars. I have stars. Star, so, so stars are these little, when you look up in the sky, and there's these little white spots, of dot, you know what I'm saying? So I, I make it a habit every night that I go outside. It, sometimes I just do. I just kind of pause and... It's like one of the few joys of living with septic tanks and out in the country, you know, as you just look up and I just take in the mystery and the masterpiece of the sky that, that God created. I know there's stars in town too. I, I know. But in town we also have this thing called light pollution, right? It, it's, it's street lights, it's house lights, it's car lights, right? All very necessary. They all very much serve a purpose. We still have stars in the city, right? They're just kind of crowded out by light pollution. But out on the Kellogg Ranchero, <laughs> we got stars. And down there where my mama lives, down at Daisy, we really got stars down there, baby. I mean, they just twinkle, twinkle, and it's fun. Sometimes dark places help you see things. You can't always see. Because there's light pollution. There's life pollution. Like quarantine. 
just, let's just be real. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. And like you just went to the grocery store and you felt like you needed to wear a hazmat suit and take a shower when you got home. Just feel dirty, right? But let's, let's, just, let's just be honest about quarantine. It's kind of nice to slow down, wasn't it? It's kind of nice to just take a walk with the family. That was safe. It's kind of nice to sit around the table and just be a family. See, quarantine helped us see it wouldn't hurt to slow down. Or, or the economic crash. That helped us kind of rattle our box a little bit, right? You know what? <laughs> yeah, we might need a little more money in a savings account for a rainy day, I don't know, or a pandemic, right? I know for a lot of people this season has been hard and trying and dark. But Nehemiah got on his donkey and he spent the night looking and surveying and asking. And I believe God gave him a vision for what could be because of what he couldn't see. He wasn't distracted by the rubble. He wasn't distracted by all the burnt down buildings. He was just there and all he could see was the mission. All he could see was just the wall. That's what I'm here focusing on. That's what I'm here focusing on. That's what I'm here focusing on. Don't let rubble distract you from the rebuild. God does powerful work in dark places. It's in the dark place of the womb that he breathes life. That's where I believe a plan was conceived in Nehemiah's dark place to rebuild. Verse 16, the city officials did not know I'd been out there, what I was doing, for I'd not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I'd not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, nobody, anyone else in the administration. But now, after I kind of went out and surveyed the plan, now that I, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Second thing I want you to see, God makes beauty from ashes. Nehemiah is talking to the city leaders that are there. It's like, this place is toast. This is bad. This is done. Like the whole city just lies in ruins. The gates are in ashes. The wall's a big old pile of rubble. But as I studied this, and I, I kind of looked at the Old Testament timeline and the order of books, I, I don't want to project too much into Scripture. I don't, I don't want to put too much on Nehemiah's story. I just wonder, though, did the words of one of those prophets, remember I told you that God will let you, but he'll also warn you? And so he would send guys like Ezekiel and Isaiah and he would send these prophets, and one of those guys was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And he was one that would say, listen, listen, stop coveting what your neighbor has. Come back. Come back to God. Stop, start, stop, stop serving the neighbor's gods. Come back. Let God be your God. You be his people. And he would offer that warning, and then he would say, listen, if you don't, this is not going to be good. And the book of Isaiah has those prophecies, but it also prophesies about this moment right here. And I wonder if Nehemiah didn't just remember from his reading the scrolls and studying those as a kid what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 61, verse 3. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give crown of beauty for your ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Listen, what looks like ruins to you and I is something that's reusable in God's hands. What looks like a mistake from my past, God can make useful in your purpose. 
We see rubble, God sees potential. You gotta be careful here. You may not know this, but I used to be a really big deal. A bit. I mean, I I used to work in radio. If you ask my kids, they think I still do that because I'm in the shower. I'm like, hey, 95.5 FM. I'm Brent Matthews. You know, whatever. Brent Morgan, Brent Matthews. Brent. I, I used to be a big deal. I could walk into any church and go, my name's Brent Kellogg. Woo! You know what I'm saying? And I'm very, I'm, I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. Some of you, do you have a similar story? Some of you? You look at my life and, I, I mean, I had a mom and dad that loved Jesus. And they loved me, and they raised me in church. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So when I'm 21, 22, 27, <laughs> 30, I needed some of that arrogance beaten out of me. So I went through a divorce, laid my dad to rest way too young. ran our bout through depression. I wasn't such a big deal anymore. God had to beat some of that stuff. I mean, he had to make some beauty out of ashes. I had to go through some pain. I needed to know what real pain was like so that when I would get up to teach young people or get up and talk about pain, wouldn't me be just talking at you, but I could actually preach from a place of depth and experience. I needed to go through some stuff. Teach me how to shut my mouth. Because I always had an opinion. I would argue with the fence post if it would just stand there long enough and let me argue. And what happened in 2 Kings chapter 25 where the Babylonian kings completely destroyed the walls of a city. He would leave rubble to serve as a reminder of what happens when we walk away from God. When we choose to go our own way, when we choose to live somebody else's life, when I choose to step out from under God's protection, when I'm insistent that my way is always right, and God, you just go do your thing, and, but I'm going to go this way. That's what happens when you walk away from God. See, that mess, that rubble, that mess would forever preach a message to the children of Israel. This is what happens when I covet. This is what happens when I look at my neighbor and what they have instead of what God has for me. It's a reminder of what will happen in my story when I try to live somebody else's story. I think it's why you got to be careful about who you're following up on Instagram or Facebook. That can send you to a dark place really, really fast. Oh, look, they're on vacation again. I got furloughed. We couldn't go on vacation this year. Oh, look, their children's hair is combed and they're not dressed crazy. They went to school on their first day not in their pajamas. Must be nice to have kids that aren't crazy. Oh, look, they have kittens. Oh, I don't really care about kittens. They can keep the kittens. If I keep watching my neighbor's life, if I keep watching my neighbor's Facebook and Instagram, and if I keep wanting what they have, I'm going to miss. And I'm going to make a mess of my story. Run your race. Run your race. Run your race that God has set before you.
I will be so distracted by what they have and by what I don't have. I will be so focused on them that I will miss my moment. That rubble that became obstacles that Nehemiah couldn't even get through, the ashes of the gates that had been burned, the stones of the wall that were lying there in ruins without even speaking a word. That rubble was preaching a message to a broken, dark generation. Three words, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't repeat the mistakes of your forefathers. Don't go back. Don't go back. And out of the ashes of that dark place, God wanted to do something new. God wanted to rebuild something that was so powerful. And you know what? He can, because he has the ability to give you a crown of beauty for ashes. He can take a joyous blessing instead of mourning. He can create festive praise instead of despair. Amen? Whatever dark place you're in today, whatever ashes make up your life, you think are unusable, God's not done with you. God's not done with your story. He wants to take your dark place and turn it into a trophy of his grace. He wants to take the ashes of your past and turn it into a crown of beauty. That is the beauty of the gospel. If all of your past and all of your sin brought you to this place of emptiness and brokenness, you had no place else to go, but you cried out to God. You recognized in that moment, I've made a mess of my life, and I cried out because I need a Savior. And you called on the name of the G. You called on the name of Jesus, and in that moment, He rushed in with His mercy and with His grace. All of that sin, all of that rubble, all of those ashes—if it brought you to the place where you recognized you need Jesus, it was worth it. If all of your sin and all of your pain and all of your heartache led you to the foot of the cross, it was worth it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.